If you have a Bible, I'd like to open to the familiar and yet wonderful uh, chapter of Proverbs, chapter 31. And we're going to look at it in a different, bit of a different light that maybe you've looked at it before. Often, growing up in a, in a Christian family, growing up in a church, you'd hear uh, young women, you'd hear girls, you'd hear older women say that they wanted to be a Proverbs 31 woman, and that's a good thing, isn't it? But you have to know when you're reading Proverbs 31 that you're not reading a man describing his perfect woman. You're not reading uh, a mother describing to her daughter the kind of woman she should be. In Proverbs 31, you're reading a mother speaking to her son about what kind of woman he wants to marry. In fact, Proverbs 31 is different than all the other Proverbs because all the other Proverbs in that book are, the, are a father talking to a son. But Proverbs 31 is a mother talking to her son. And it's a really good chapter because I think we're going to see some things this morning about the kind of things that God uses a mother to imprint on their children. You know, being a mother, your, your imprint of who they are and uh, of the security they have in you, of the nurture they have in you, you're really the first one to make a strong imprint on that child. Their father is, of course, there as well. If the father was around, he plays a part as well. But, you know, usually it's the mother that first holds that child. It's the mother that first looks into the child's eyes with that look of love. It's usually the mother that imprints some of the youngest memories on that child's, on that child's mind. And, and that not even memories, but the identity of who they are. In Proverbs 31, we read about a king named Lemuel. And once again, I mean, I know I say this often, but guys, why has no one named their kid Lemuel? <laughs> this is a good name. The nickname is Lem. So awesome, right? Uh, Lemuel means devoted to God. It's got a good meaning. It's not ugly sounding. I don't know why you're holding back. I mean, we're not going to name our child that, but I don't know why you're not. You've got guts. Come on. But Lemuel, we, we don't really know who Lemuel was. Some people say, well, it's another name for Solomon. And you can believe that. Now, you may be right. I, I personally lean to it being a different king altogether, not even a king of Israel. But whoever it was, he had a mother that loved him, and he had a mother that was a godly mother and wanted him to be a godly king. And from the very start, you see him say this in chapter 31 and verse 1. She, it says, the words of King Lemuel, the oracle, in other words, the utterance, which his mother taught him. She says, what, O my son, and what, O son of my womb, and what, O son of my vows? Now, you may have had that conversation with your kids at certain times. What, O son of my womb? Oh, what, O son of my vows? Or maybe not. <laughs> she tells him, don't give your strength to women <laughs> or your ways to that which destroys kings. He's, she's not telling him, don't get married. She's saying, don't run off with women. Don't, don't go sleeping around. Don't go... Uh, being like all those other young men that, that uh, go and, and, and just give it all away. He, she says to him, don't give your strength to women or your ways to that which destroys kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to desire strong drink. For they will drink and forget what is decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to him who's perishing. Let 
and wine to him whose life is bitter. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his trouble no more. But you, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all the unfortunate. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and defend the rights of the afflicted and needy. This chapter is divided into two, uh, some people would call them poems, two sections. This first bit, which is telling them how to be a good king. And the second bit, how to recognize a godly woman. And what's so cool about what we just read is that this little boy who's hearing these words from his mom's mouth, he doesn't know how to be a king. Just because he was born into it doesn't mean he knows how to be one. And these characteristics, characteristics that she's talking about are not genetic characteristics. Compassion is not genetic. You don't just get that because you were born to compassionate parents. It's taught. Justice is not genetic. It's taught. Righteousness is not genetic. It's taught, but it's, it's even more than that. The righteousness that we know is received as a gift from God. But she teaches him, and she tells him who he is. Young King Lemuel is a king because he was born. He was going to be a king someday. When he's hearing these words, he's probably a prince. But he was going to be a king when he grew up. But what kind of king he was going to be depended on what kind of image was implanted on him, what was taught him, what, who he believed he really was. I wonder, because as you see this, she tells him, not just that you're a king and you can do whatever you want, but she tells him what kind of king he's going to be. She tells him what a king looks like. And I know, unless I'm mistaken, nobody in this room is, uh, you know, your son or your daughter are not the crown prince or princess of some country in Europe or Africa. I, I think all of us are just regular old peasant folk. We're not, we're not royalty as the world may see it. Of course, we know we're royalty as God sees it. We're the sons and daughters of the king, and that's a big deal. It's much bigger than any uh, earthly title. But I wonder, and I believe, that as we have these kids running around as we have these kids that even before they can learn to talk, I believe that you have the opportunity to imprint on them who they really are, who they believe they are, what they think they are. I remember hearing somebody say, uh, it, was, it, was, it was a woman speaking to other women, and she said, you know, for those of you that were married, she said, every time you see your husband, there is a little boy and there's a king in him, and who you address is the one that comes out. <laughs> there's kind of a, a bit of truth to that. Sometimes we have to, well, all times we have to be like our Father in heaven who calls things that are not as though they were, who sees things that don't yet exist and yet talks about them like they do. It's easy for us to look at somebody the way they are right now and just point out the obvious. But what's far greater and what's far more godly is to see what God sees in them and speak that way about them. Now, some of you have kids that are grown up, and, and I know that, that while those kids may be grown up, you may, you may be a grandfather or a grandmother. Some of you have kids in your future. All of us have a place in the body of Christ um, to raise up children and to, to influence other people. And I know that as, as Lemuel's mother talked to him, he was learning who he was. He didn't learn who he was, uh, 
by what, what his friends said. He didn't learn who he was just by what all the people in the kingdom said. He learned primarily who he was first and foremost from his mother because by the time that this gets written down, Somebody else wrote it down, and Lemuel had said it, had dictated it to them, and he had remembered, even as an old man, he's a king now, but he still remembered word for word what his mother said to him when he was a little boy. It's so easy to just say what we need to say at the moment. I remember a study that was done not long ago, a few years ago, and it was done in an inner city, and they took uh, uh, some of the families... Uh, that just continually, you know, just seemed to be going through hard times and hard times and hard times and, and never really got out of the tough situation. They took some families that were kind of in the middle of the ladder and they took some families that were at the top of the ladder and they, they gave them recorders and they recorded three years of conversations. And it took them a long time to parse through all of these conversations. But what they found is by the end of those three years, the kids at the top of the ladder had heard millions more words than the kids at the bottom of the ladder. Their parents were speaking to them regularly. They were getting more variety of words. And so by the time these kids got to preschool, they were already miles ahead than the kids who didn't hear as much because they had these vocabulary skills, they had these verbal skills. But here was the other thing. It wasn't just the amount of words. It was what was being said to them. Because they found that the kids that just continually continue, just had a hard time and never really got out of it. And then when they had kids, their kids never really got out of it. They found that the things they were saying to their children were like, get off the couch. Leave your brother alone. Would you stop screaming? Put that soup somewhere else instead of your brother's head. Things like that. And they were noticing that that's kind of the only communication they got. Was just direct orders like get off, you know, just kind of negative Whereas the, the kids that did well from the very get-go were being encouraged, were being read to, were being talked to. And a man who had devoted his life to helping people get out of poverty realized at a certain point, I'm starting way too late. He said, what I, where I need to start is I need to start with the kids. I need to start with the babies. He started something called Baby College. Have you ever heard of baby college sounds weird doesn't it sounds like a Disney movie but baby college was a place where he taught parents how to communicate with their children how to talk to them how to implant certain things in them that would last them for a lifetime because he found that even when this person got old what they heard from their parents at that young age affected them for the rest of their life God has given us a sacred duty a huge duty, a sacred obligation and responsibility and privilege to sow something into those kids that nobody else can put into them, to plant something into them that no one else can plant in them. I wonder if we were to address our children as kings and queens, what they turn out to be. Not just kings and queens like you can do whatever you want. Because she could have said that. Hey, Lemuel... You were born into a royal family, so you really don't have to pick up your garbage because she'll do that. Say, Lemuel, you know, you know that kid at school that keeps hassling you? You can hit him and get away with it because you're the prince. She told him the opposite. She said, Lemuel, everybody else might be drinking all that strong drink and all that wine, but not you. You're different. 
says, Lemuel, you've got to open your mouth for those that can't open the mouth for themselves. Lemuel, you've got to defend the rights of the needy. You've got to stand up for those that can't stand up for themselves. You see, first and foremost, she told him he was a king, but then she told him how to be a king. Some of you godly mothers have the opportunity, and maybe you've already done this, and maybe this is in your future, but you've got the opportunity to show and implant in those sons and daughters that they are royalty and how royalty will behave and what is expected of them. But not just like what's expected of them, like a bunch of rules and obligations, because that comes from a belief that that's not who you are, but you need to act that way. We're not talking about acting a certain way. We're not talking about putting on a performance. We're talking about telling them this is who you are. You are a king, and this is what a king does. You know the difference? I mean, we had a dog named Bubba. Anybody ever meet Bubba? Yes. Bubba was a shih tzu. Bubba didn't know he was a shih tzu. He was not privy to that knowledge. Bubba thought he was just a short, furry human that uh, just didn't get the same food as the rest of us, but he tried. Dad called him trip dog because he was always around our feet, just always like he was trying to trip you, but he just really just loved to be around us. I was reminded of my dad recently because now that's what my son starts to do. He's crawling around. He's always around my feet. Tia was watching him last night, grabbing on to my feet while I'm trying to make a sandwich. And I was reminded of dad calling Bubba trip dog. And I, I remembered, that's probably not a good thing for me to call my son. So I, I kept my mouth shut. <laughs> But Bubba, Bubba looked like a Bubba. Imagine in your mind what you think a Bubba looks like, and, and that's Bubba. He, he, had, he had an underbite. He had a pug nose. I mean, he did look like a hillbilly dog if any dog looked like it. But Bubba didn't know he was a hillbilly dog. He figured he was a prince. And, you know, Bubba, we would, we would tell him, you know, mom, would, mom taught him to praise the Lord. And, you know... She said, praise the Lord, Bubba, praise the Lord. And Bubba would get up on his, on his hind legs and he'd lift his paws and he'd dance around. But you know, and I know, that all he's thinking is there's a treat, there's a treat. <laughs> if I do this, I get a treat. I don't really believe that dog was saying, oh, how fearfully and wonderfully I'm made. <laughs> oh, great creator, I lift my voice to you. Who made the heavens and the earth? I lift my paws to you. G no, he wasn't thinking that. He's thinking, those treats, it tastes like bacon, and I love it. <laughs> because we taught a dog to act like a human, but it didn't make him a human. He was just acting like a human. See, there's a difference between teaching somebody to act like a king and telling them you are one. See, that's why we had to know who we were in Christ. That's why we had to learn who he made us to be because it's one thing to act like a Christian. It's one thing to try to behave like one, but when you know who you really are in Christ, it comes naturally because that's who you are. And so your first obligation as a mother, as a father, is to imprint on that child not what they do, but who they are. And once they know who they are, then you tell them what that looks like. She said, Lemuel, stay away from the drink. Stay away from those women that are trying to get you to go off course. She says, Lemuel, spend your life standing up for justice. Spend your life defending those that can't defend themselves. Spend your life standing up for the needy and the oppressed. And he remembered that for the rest of his life. 
And because it made it into this book, and he was able to say it with a straight face, I have to believe he did exactly what his mother told him to do. Then she goes on and says, Lem, I know you don't understand this now. This is just my addition to the, to the text. Please forgive me. But she says, Lem, an excellent wife who can find. For her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. She is like merchant ships and brings her food from afar. She rises also while it's still night and gives food to her husband and portions to her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. So she's into real estate. Apparently, that's a good thing to look for in a woman. <laughs> Realize that a lot of this is cultural, right? So you don't read this and go, oh, I've got to be a godly woman. I need to get some flax and fast. But understand there's basic principles behind these things. You don't have to, uh, some roles have changed, cultures have changed, but you know this, that a godly woman is not lazy. You know that a godly woman looks, cares for her family just as a godly man does. You know that uh, uh, God gives her inspiration and ideas. And, and really, if we can read between the lines, I think she's implying to Lemuel, don't get in the way of this woman when God has given her an idea or creativity. Because here, she's going to see a vineyard and you're going to say, honey, do we need to spend money on that vineyard right now? You're just going to have to let her buy it because she knows what she's doing. And he says, exactly. <laughs> she girds herself with strength. She makes her arms strong. She senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff, and her hands grasp the spindle. She extends her hands to the poor. She stretches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies belts to the tradesmen. Strength and dignity are her clothing. She smiles at the future. She opens her mouth in wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and bless her, her husband also, and he praises her, saying, Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the product of her hands, and let her works praise her in the gates. So we read this a little bit differently when you realize this is a mother speaking to her son, but what a godly woman looks like. It's kind of odd because you can tell from the way she talks to him that he's not old when he's hearing this. I don't think he's too old hearing this. I think if he was older, it'd be too late to tell him some of these things. I don't know how old he was, but I think he's young enough to have these things in front of him and not behind him. As she talks to him, she tells him, this is the kind of woman you need to look for. But then she tells him what he should do when he finds this woman. He says, her children are going to rise up and call her blessed. And then he go, she goes, and her husband should too. Wink, wink, that means you. <laughs> What's he supposed to say? Well, I guess we got married. I mean, the very fact that I'm here proves I love you, right? If I didn't love you... Believe me, I had other offers. I was a spring chicken once. There were other girls around, but I settled with you. Isn't that enough? 
No, he says far more than that. He says, many daughters have done well. There's beautiful women everywhere, but you're far beyond all of them. He says, he says, listen, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, that's the one you're looking for. She's the one that you need to talk about. She's the one that you need to praise. And I love this because all of this is a mother imprinting an image on her son of who he is, of what he's going to do with his life, and even the type of woman that he's going to marry. From a young age, I imagine he's going to have opportunities to go off track. I imagine he's going to have opportunities to do stupid things. But from that young age, there was something in him. There was something reminding him that he had better things for him, that there were better things he would do, and there were better things he would be, and there were better, better women out there for him. In fact, there was one that was a godly woman, one that feared the Lord. And the evidence of that was this, that she worked hard for her family. She, she was diligent. She was smart. She was compassionate. If there was needy, she extended her hand and fed them. Can you imagine the kind of couple that Lemuel and this woman would have made? Can you imagine how they would have improved society as King Lemuel would have stood up for the needy and stood up for the justice of those that deserved it and his wife would extend her hand to those that needed it? I would have liked to meet these guys. And it all started with a mother. It all started with a mother saying, this is who you are, and this is what you need to be, and this is what you need to look for. Now, I'm not saying the mother controlled his life. She didn't say, and this is the woman's name. We've already set it up. Me and Mrs. Nelson over there, we've set it up. She's only five years old now, but she's going to be a looker, I can tell, and uh, don't worry. No, the mom didn't try to control his life. She didn't try to tell him every little path he should take, but she set out these broad images. She painted a picture for him of what he, a godly king, would look like. What would happen if we began to speak to our sons as kings and said, you know what? You're not like everybody else. There's going to be guys out there that sleep around, but you're not them. You're not, you, there's going to be your friends that go off and party and get wasted and do stupid things, but that's not you. There's going to be those that take advantage of other people and, and oppress the weak, but that's not you. You're a king. There's going to be those that settle for the prettiest woman on the block, but beauty is deceitful. His charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. You need to look for that woman who fears the Lord. From that moment, that we tell them who they really are and tell them it's okay to tell them they're different. You know, sometimes parents tell their kids, they treat them like a king in the sense that they treat their child like they're special, but then they act like every little thing they do is royal. And it's not. And you've met these parents at the food court. <laughs> where instead of saying, you're royalty, so there's a different standard for royalty. They say you're royalty, so it's okay if you scream in those strangers' ears because you're royalty and you can do no wrong. And even when you go in your diaper, it smells awesome <laughs> because you're a king, my little boy. You're my little prince. 
That's the wrong kind of royalty. And just beware, when they grow up, you better pray they never become royalty. You better pray they never get into government because that's the kind of person they're going to be when they're in government. And we have some of those. You know, there was a tide that was shifting when uh, I, I started, probably by the time I was in junior high, the tide was shifting in elementary school. It probably shifted when I was in elementary school too, but it shifted even more. And uh, there was a real focus on self-esteem, right? Very big focus on self-esteem. And so you'd have songs that they'd sing with the kids. I am special. I am special. Look at me. Look at me. And we wonder now, what happened to these teenagers? <laughs> what happened? What did we do? Well, television did this to them. Video games did this to them. We all did this to them. We taught them that there was no standard, that whatever you do, that's just you expressing yourself. When you smack that other kid, that's just your way of expressing that you don't like him as much. We all have to be creative with that. I mean, what you drew on the wall was beautiful. It's going to cost us a lot of money to fix, but it was beautiful. Instead of teaching them, yes, they are unique. Yes, they are special. And because they are special, there's a standard for them that may not apply to everyone else. I had to grow up knowing this. It was tough for me to understand sometimes because especially by the time you get to junior high, you just want to fit in. You want to blend into the crowd. As a child of God, as, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you start to understand that you can't just blend into the crowd. You learn that because because you are different, there's a standard for you that doesn't apply to everyone else. And a godly mother will tell their son, their daughter, you don't know who you are yet, but I know. This is who you are, and this is the standard. You know, sometimes you're going to miss that standard, and I'll still love you, and I'll pick you up, and I'll, I'll wipe you off, and I'll, I'll, I'll correct you. I'll discipline your father. will discipline you, Whatever but there is still a standard for you because of who you are. And you may not know it yet, but this is who you are. You're a king. You're a queen. And a king is not all about getting his way. A king is about standing up for those that can't stand for, up for themselves. A king is about living to a different standard. And this imprint is left on them for the rest of their lives. I want you to turn with me for a moment to the book of 2 Timothy. You know, none of us here received a gift of salvation genetically. You weren't born into the kingdom uh, by just being born into a Christian family, right? The Lord doesn't have any grandchildren. You know, he, he has children, not grandchildren, right? So it doesn't matter what kind of church you were born into or what kind of family you were born into. Uh, to be called a child of God, according to John chapter 1, to have the right to be called a child of God, you had to believe in Jesus. And so that's what you did. You had to make a choice at some point in your life. But at 2 Timothy 1, verse 5, it's, the Apostle Paul writes to young Timothy and he says this, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwell in your grandmother Lois 
and your mother Eunice. I know that's not how it's properly pronounced, but we'll just use the English pronunciation here. And I'm sure that's in you, that it is in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Now, understand, Timothy did not inherit salvation through his grandmother or through his mother. He did not have something embedded in his DNA that said, you're going to follow Jesus. He didn't have something genetically encoded in him that said, you're going to have sincere faith in you. Somehow you were born into it. It's in your blood somewhere. You're going to have faith. That's not how faith works, is it? So we know that he didn't just get it because he was born into it. However, there's something about his grandmother and his mother that was worth being mentioned in this letter that had an effect. I mean, if it had no effect on his life, the Apostle Paul wouldn't have brought it up at all. It obviously was very important in his life. Paul says to him, I'm aware of the sincere faith. Do you know what sincere faith is? It's real. It's genuine. It's not put on. It's not faked. It's not an act. It's real. I'm aware of the sincere faith that was in your grandmother Lois, in your mother Eunice, and I'm sure that it's in you as well. He may not have got it genetically. And I believe that Timothy's father was probably most likely a pagan. Because he doesn't get mentioned here at all, and and we know that Timothy was half Greek. I think if his dad was a believer, Paul would have mentioned his dad. But he mentions his grandmother and his mom. And because they had a relationship with God, because they were believers. Something was put in him as a young boy that later became even more real when he started to have to make those choices for himself. And someday he was still pulling on the faith that his grandmother and his mother had. Now he had to have his own faith. We know that, right? You can't survive on somebody else's faith. But there was something that they put in him. There was something they gave to him. That heritage, that legacy. Because they had a relationship with God. And if you've had a godly mother, now some of us here, many of you here say, that wasn't my childhood, that wasn't my experience. Don't worry. God made up the difference in your life. But many of you are mothers now, or your grandmothers. He doesn't just say mother, he says grandmother here too. He says, I'm, I'm mindful, I'm aware of the faith they had. That faith made a difference in your life, Timothy. Whether you know it or not, that faith made a difference. And I'm asking you to remember it right now. I'm asking you to to kindle it afresh. I'm asking you not to forget what God put in you. Some of you here are grandmothers. Some of you are mothers. Would your child be able to say 40 years from now, would somebody be able to write them a letter and say, I'm mindful of the sincere faith that was in your grandmother, in your mother, and it's in you as well. How does faith get transferred from a grandmother or mother to a child? We know that there's, it's not a physical thing, but I imagine it happens through those conversations. I imagine it happens through prayer. I imagine there's something they talked about from a young age. He learned about Jehovah. He learned about the real God. And it affected him for the rest of his life. Timothy still had to make his own choices, right? 
Timothy still had to decide to follow Jesus. Timothy still had to decide to lay everything aside and, and leave it all and take up his cross and follow Jesus. But there was something put in him that affected that decision. Sometimes we sell ourselves so short. We think, well, I did what I could. But I can't tell them how to live their life. I can't tell them uh, what decisions or choices to make. And you'd be right, you can't. But who they know they are, what image of themselves and of God you imprint on them at a young age will stay with them for the rest of their life. They may walk away for a while. They may go do something stupid. But I've talked to so many people who had godly mothers who went away and tried to rebel against it, tried to fight it, could never really get away from it, could never really run far enough when they had a mother praying for them, a grandmother praying for them, when they had those seeds, that, that, that incorruptible seed put in them from a young age, the word of God, it bugged them for the rest of their life. You've probably met some of these people. It may be a wife, a mother, a grandmother, but having somebody that's praying for you, having somebody that's, imp- that's talked to you when you were young and, and told you about the Lord, you may have tried to run from that. You may have tried to rebel against that, but it sticks with you. Let's, cry. Let's get them while they're young. I know that some of your kids are older and some of them are at the point where you think you don't have an effect on them at all, but I, I assure you, you do. And it is so tempting to talk to them as you see them now. You talk to them like that little, you know, that little brat. You talk to them like that kid that's going around doing stupid things. You talk to them like that teenager that's rebellious. And there's a time and a place where you don't just stick your head in the sand, but you acknowledge that there needs to be some correction here, some discipline. But you also need to speak to them in a manner that reminds them who they really are, even though you don't see it. You may not be acting like a king right now, but that's who you are. You may not be acting like a child of God, but I know that's who you are. You may not be acting like you're a real believer, but I remember that moment that you gave your life to Jesus, and that hasn't changed. He said he'd never leave you or forsake you, and you need to be reminded of who you really are. So tempting, even with husbands like I said earlier, to, to just say, you're such a goofball. You know, you watch too much TV and you figure that's how you're supposed to talk to your husband. Because if you watch too much TV, all husbands are dumb, right? <laughs> Maybe you don't watch TV, but if you've watched it lately, it's not a reflection of reality. At least I hope not. Because any TV show I see out there, the husbands are morons. They're just morons. And so their wives speak to them as morons. But I don't believe that's reality, is it? I believe there's worth in us that you may not even see. You have the right. We're all going to do stupid things. You have, you have the opportunity to, to refer to that person, to speak to them as you see it right now, or you have an opportunity to speak to them as they really are. And I want to thank you, mothers, for what you've done. I want to honor you this morning for who you've been for the things that you've imprinted on, on us. You know, I had a great mother that, that was praying for my spouse before I even liked girls. <laughs> and she did good, huh? 
Boy, I got a, a, one of these women that's talked about in Proverbs 31. I sure got a godly wife. And she's a good mother, too. And uh, I suppose as a husband, it's my job to publicly praise her, too, and tell her, you're a good mother, Tia. You're real good. And that little Moses is so blessed because not only does he have a mother that loves him, but he's got a mother that, that has, a, has higher hopes for him than he even has for himself that has higher dreams for him, she's not going to tell him what he needs to do with his life. She's not going to tell him, you know, this is going to be your occupation, this is going to be your job, but she's going to tell him what kind of man he's going to be. I hope he sees it in me as well. Fathers, you, mothers, there are things you need to say to your sons. Fathers, there's things you need to demonstrate to your sons. And vice versa with daughters. There are things that they observe that we don't even know they're observing. But there's an image imprinted on them and we see it in Proverbs 31, an image of royalty. And we see it in Second in Timothy, an image and a reality of a, of a sincere faith that will stick with them for the rest of their life. And the Bible says, train up your child in the way they should go. And even when they're old, they won't depart from it. In another place, it says, children are like an arrow in the hands of a ready warrior. Wow. What does a warrior do with an arrow? See, so just like helicopter it, just flick it in the air and say, I hope it does something. He aims it. He shoots it. And it goes in a direction. You may think that it's your job just to, to let the kid be who they are. You know, there's some individuality and some unique things that you're going to have to let grow and, and, and just let that come out. But that doesn't mean there's not guidance and there's not direction in their life. They need to know who they really are. They need to know there's a higher standard for them, and they need to go in a certain direction. It doesn't mean you tell them what to do with their life, but it means there's a direction they're going. And that direction is first imprinted on them by their parents, by their mothers, and by their fathers. So we want to honor you mothers because you've affected us so greatly. And some of you have kids that are grown, and, and maybe there's grandkids on the way. I don't know. That's exciting. Maybe the grandkids are already here. Maybe some of you are young mothers and you still have small children and they're still willing to listen to you when you tell them these things. But don't ever give up and don't ever underestimate your influence on them. Don't say it's, it's hopeless. They never listen to me because whether you know it or not, they're listening. They are listening. It will stay with them more than most things in their life. As old King Lemuel can tell you, and still recite word for word what his mom said to him as a boy. Hopefully, your sons, your daughters will rise up and call you blessed. And your husbands too, if they know what's good for them.